This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. Our topic today, uh, something we've kind of been beating around the bush for a while here the last few episodes. It's been a point brought up again and again, basically. You know, with all these variations, all these releases, all this nonsense surrounding products right now, uh, is specking a dying art? And that's something <clears throat> that I think is kind of important, especially from the MTG Finance aspect. You know, because a lot of your, a lot of people that get into MTG Finance do it for the spec side, rather than the like I want to be a backpacker side because it's the most accessible. So we're going to talk about basically what kind of future we think there is based on what's happening with releases and everything else. Uh, before we get into that, though, there is an important announcement, semi. Nothing official yet, but Channel Fireball has been sending out solicitations. Sorry, Flesh and Blood Events has been sending out solicitations to vendors for GPs. We'll bring you more of that as we find out. But... Let's get started on specking, or can we? Can we? Yeah. Uh, so, I look at this in an interesting way. I wanted to approach it from imprint sets only, starting from around Theros Beyond Death. And nobody's really sure what these variants were going to be. We heard that they might be different from set to set. We might see a lot of uh, repeat variation. And when you break it down, I think at the end of the day, what makes specking hard for anything printed after Theros Beyond Death really is how homogenous one can make their deck. So we're looking to sell cards to people who are buying cards, and people who buy cards want them to look a certain way. Uh, all foil, all you know, showcase, what have you. Now, uh, in regards to appeal overall, I find it's easiest to appeal to the LCD, and for them, specking stays the same. But now when you look at, okay, if I'm the kind of person that wants to appeal to the whales out there, where are my whales? That's very difficult. And so when I kind of went through this, that's how, that's how I looked at it, is my lowest common denominator kind of operates the same. Where is the difficulty? And I think the difficulty is the people who want to operate in smaller marketplaces, meaning foil, that's a more narrow market. Uh, foil showcase more narrow sketches of the various versions of etched that we have and i don't think specking on the whole in regards to modern printed sets is dead i think being able to cast a wide net on one card in regards to versioning and being being successful that might be dead okay because you have so many variants <clears throat> something like Essica's Chariot was easy. You had regular and showcase, and if you want to go the safest route, it's non-foil because that came from a set that was notorious for curling. Easy. Boring game, terrible for your foils. And then you start looking at things like Time Spiral and Modern Horizons, and now the supplemental sets are even harder because yeah. you have Retro, and you have Etched, and you have this, and you have that. So for me and what I do, I think specking is still available, but for somebody else whose game is a little different, that's where I think this becomes kind of a dying 
Well, I think part of it for me that kind of led me to the impetus for this and saying like, hey, we should try to, you know, delve into this a little was honestly because I, you know, I was a foil guy. I wanted the hardest to find, most expensive version of yep. a card that I could find. Uh, and then we get this Praetor Secret Lair drop. And prior to this, there were two cards that were printed in Phyrexian, Judge Foil, Elish Norn, which was, as with all of the Judge Foils, spiking incredibly high. And the Phyrexian Swamp from Jump Jumpstart. Start? Yeah, Jumpstart. And then you have this Secret Lair box, which is for sale forever. That's all six of the Praetors and Phyrexian. That all of a sudden, now we see these, yep. you know, this thing that was kind of like not really, you know, soft reserve list even. Well, it's something that seems so implausible that, you know, they'll, you know, they, they'll do this once in a blue moon. No, here's just all of the Praetors. So all of a sudden, this $700 Judge promo just tanks in value. Yep. And I think that, to me, what it did in terms of, like, specking and relating to it was really just convince me that, hey, you know, it's specking is also a lock in your margin market, yep. which wasn't necessarily how I'd looked at it before. Uh, or if you want to say it's based on your entry, a lock in your margin market. Because I may not, you know, like, something I get for 25 cents, like Sarkin's Unsealing. I mean, I'm not going to dump those for 30 cents to a buy list. I, I'll wait until they hit a dollar, if they hit a dollar. Yep, yep. But on something like Elish Norn, that's not something I want to hold long term now. Seeing those high-end things, those, like, one-off promos, Soul Ring Masterpiece, for example, is not really worth holding anymore for me. Because now they can literally just be like, well, here's a secret layer that's basically the same thing with one slight difference in the foiling. And all of a sudden, those masterpieces aren't worth a grand anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not something that you're like, well, this will be you know, $1,500 one day. It's much more, I'm going to flip it as quick as I can, yep. which makes them, to me, a less appealing spec. Because I was the whale guy when it came to specs. I wanted those high-end foils, those chase cards that someone will come in and give me their whole trade binder for you know, when you when you came to my booth, you knew Masterpieces, Invocations, Yu-Gi-Oh! Proxies, uh, whatever, you know, Expeditions, FBBs, anything, it's there. And, you know, coming, dumping your trade binder into it, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Yeah. I think, you know, the whale specking to me is well and truly done after seeing this secret lair come out. Um, and I think that you touch on a good point when you mentioned, like, Theros Reborn and the foiling being particularly bad in that set and curling is that that's an added dimension that some people may not have thought of when specking in terms of desirability is like are these cards like actually well made and that's something that for me has kind of entered my conscious now for like modern yeah. print run cards you know do I want to go deep on this card knowing it's going to Pringle yeah, I, on I, in a month I bought the Bob Ross Secret Layer in foil, and that came curled, so I bought my Frexian Praetors in non-foil. I yep. learned my lesson immediately on that. But what you talked about is exactly a point I have written down, which is if, when you want to operate in these smaller markets, there's a ton of opportunity there. You just have to understand the market that you're operating in and yep. that it is a smaller market space, so you have to be more nimble, more agile in what you're doing but you have to spend a lot more time understanding that market space. Um, yeah. I can't remember how many versions of, um, for instance, Vorinclex there are from Kaldheim. Uh, I do 
spot. Well, they both take the versions take up the same slot in a pack, so there's half as many of each. Yep. So you have regular, you have a Frexian, you have the alternate border. Let me bring this up so people can see it. So there's the regular, then there's the Frexian regular, there's the showcase variant, pre-release promo, and the promo pack, right? So if you want to operate at the pimpest level, what is that going to be? Could it, it could be the Phyrexian. That's what people were going nutty for. It could be the showcase version. You don't know that. And they both come in foil, right? So when you're operating at that high level, you have to know what you're doing. And to me, that makes it more of a lost art and more of a learned science. Yeah. You're, you're no longer able to operate like you were before painting in broad strokes now you have to understand your data points and who you're working with and be very explicit with what you're doing and i think that needs to remain clear you know there are people that were sitting on the frexian elish neural like you mentioned and they got crushed by the secret layer because people who might pick up the judge one in time will now pick up the cheaper version either foil or not out of the secret layer depending on how well the foils stand up over all so it's something to think about I, the additional wrinkle that i mentioned this is one i'll probably harp on a lot because i think it begs repeating is really every supplemental set we get we get new treatments and not not just standard sets uh, call time has an interesting showcase and um i think strict saver that has one but then like aquaria and theros beyond that have full art right so Variation, variants in standard to me are, are less common. We're going to see more full art. So if I'm going to look to pimp, pimp spec, I'm going to go with full art because that allows people to build uh, a homogenous looking deck. And for the most part, that's what they're going to want to do. And it could be that the through line for homogeny is it's the hardest to find version in foil. I mean, sure. It yeah. could be, you know, all retro frame. It doesn't matter, but people are generally speaking not going to troll you by playing one of each mountain in their deck. Like, that's not going to be the case. So I've seen it on camera too. Uh, Marshall yeah. loved it. They were just waiting for the Arabian Nights mountain in the deck, but I don't know if it made it its, its appearance. I, I used to do it with Tron and got a few over on surgicals because someone said, is this all your towers? And I'd be like, I mean, maybe. And they would just stop searching. Oh yeah, Okay. I play um, Farin far and forth so all of my, yeah all i have all 12 arts in japanese and i would never get a star city feature match for that because i know the commentators already hate trying to figure out what art is what now do it in a different yeah. language right never but that variant and the sheer number of variables that go into specking on these supplemental sets is what turns me off from trying to do that there i'll do it for myself for my own play i'll buy sure. variants and like easy kind of stuff but i won't go deep on anything that isn't set non-foil. I think that's where the art lies. I think once it becomes more science, more prescribed, you operate in a smaller marketplace. For me, that becomes less savory because now I have to put a ton more work in and I have to begin operating in the in the open market space, which isn't bad. It's just not what I want to be doing. I don't want to have to be maintaining listings either on Facebook or eBay or TCG Player and babysitting all that stuff. I just want to like out to a buy list because I know more people are going to be buying set non-foil of this thing. You know, for, for 
me, that, that's the easiest. That's why I don't really recommend um, you know, a lot of etch, uh, not etch, foils or uh, variant printings when it comes to my picks because it still allows yeah. me to cast the white set and still be a little artistic and less prescribed with your specking. And I think it's also, it touches on the easier out angle, which is also important because if, you know, the the thing was with, you know, say we're sitting on five, excuse me, Elishnorn Judge promos. Yep. You may not be able to out those all to a single buy list, but you better believe you can offload 50 Modern Masters to Elishnorns to a buy list without a problem. Yeah. If worse comes to worse. And I think that's another problem with the higher end whale specking that I constantly ran into was basically, you know, unless it's a dual land or something that just screams every deck needs this, yep. you're not going to be able to get rid of a whole bunch of those. You know, you may be able to get rid of two or three at a time, and then you risk getting caught underwater with a reprint like a secret layer. And I think that, you know, I like operating on buy lists a little bit more than I like operating in the open market, just because time, yeah. really. Uh, and fee structures and everything else that I just don't want to keep track of to impact my prices or whatever. And I think that, you know, having that lowest common denominator now becomes the go-to for general specking. I don't think you'll see any more, like I you know I recommended a little bit ago, uh, Una's Blackguard, the WPN promo, yep. was unique art, foil, whatever. I don't think that necessarily is the go-to anymore where you try to get like here's an opportunity it's what's it's less what's the opportunity for growth and it becomes a little bit more of what's my opportunity for outing this yeah becomes the focus because you don't necessarily have the time for growth that you did before yeah everything has a target at this yeah. point everything from eighth edition forward in the, the modern era of the game we are always at risk of a reprint into standard or a large print supplemental that tanks the value of the card either because it's uh, rare and thus priced as such or supply finally meets demand and yeah states and i think that part in particular is probably is still where the art lies and about being uh, nimble and able to to move from either spec to spec quickly or try and insulate yourself by getting in or picking up quantity enough to get out fast enough that you don't have yeah. to worry about um, the eminent possibility of reprint because it's very difficult to figure out what they will and won't and where <clears throat> it, it will happen. So trying to play that game is... It's not impossible. We do make calls on that in our pick section when talking about reprint equity, but it is, it's always a gamble. You know, a lot of yeah. stuff can always appear in standard for whatever reason. And part of it, too, is, you know, thinking about, like, when you talk about one of the things we used to harp on with reprint equity earlier in the cast was, you know, they just printed this card. Yep. They're not going to reprint it for a little bit. But then, prime example, Sarkin's Unsealing within a year got a reprint in a supplemental set. So all of a sudden, that's out the window as well. And it becomes much more, you know, because your past few picks for the past few episodes have all been pre-modern EDH stuff. Yep. That's just like, all right, yeah, this, this is where we're going to go. And I think that's what you're going to see is a lot more emphasis that, like, you know, we want to go pre-modern with specs for more reliability at this point. Yeah. 
that, that it's it's definitely something to think about, and it's like a lot of this conversation goes without saying that anything prior, like any set that involves a reserveless card, is basically kind of not reprint proof. We're not going to, but we're not going to see a lot of it come through because it just doesn't fit the nature of the gameplay anymore. Cards were designed so poorly that upcycling a lot of this stuff is going to be a difficult ask. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, like. Um, Keljoran Outpost isn't uh, a reserveless card, but you're not going to get a reprint because it's so bad in comparison to yeah. what we already have access to. It's just going to be an embarrassment to put it in a standard set. So, specking on the, the pre-modern era of cards, generally speaking, should always pan out uh, in the long run. It might not be uh, short-term gains, just because you got to wait for demand to catch up, so if you're just specking on something kind of sight unseen in that regard, it'll be difficult, but you should be a, a little insulated otherwise yeah there's always something weird that you can you know pick up on or, or buy into you know they're not going to do time spiral remastered that much more often where you have to worry about that weird slot and what they decide to put in there like enduring renewal or whatever the white enchantment is that makes the fruity pebbles combo possible wasn't good enough to go in that slot because it never affected gameplay but they decided to put it in anyway so it's a modern legal card now and it really does nothing for the format Although we did get Goblin Bombardment. Yeah. So. No, no, don't get me wrong. I, I, I do like the Bombardments in there. and It has the opportunity to do things. You just have to figure out if playing Yogmoth and Gravecrawler is better or worse than Bombardment. Yeah. I or mean, you also had... Gross Messenger. Oh, yeah, Gross Messenger. You also had, to be fair, uh, Necro in that deck, which we're never getting. No, not at all. So, uh, that, that's also important. But, yeah, it's it's, you know, it... It's less that specking is dead, and more that the art has fundamentally changed. And what is a safe bet, or what becomes all right? This is just inventory, yeah. as opposed to I'm throwing this in a five k and forgetting about it. Yeah. And you know that said, you will occasionally see something like Shink of the Blood Subbed Keep, where all of a sudden, like, oh. You know, I had this in a bulk box, and suddenly it's worth a hundred dollars because somebody had fifteen two in a league with it, yep. yeah, or challenger, whatever. And it's like, all right, but that is far more the exception than the rule, which is not how it used to be. Yeah. Now, I do like the point that you just made about inventory, because um, there have been personal calls that I've made where I've picked up four of a card in non-foil for myself, and then another couple copies in foil for inventory for when something inevitably popped in modern. So I forgot what the, um, the Lorwyn Goblin is that tutors to the top of your library. And this is when we got Ringleader in Standard. I bought a bunch of that in foil. And I fell backwards into that foil popping from nothing to over $15 because of Conspicuous Snoop. Yeah. So forever, that card sat in inventory waiting for goblins to pop as a deck. And then I was just handed and, and out. But it was never truly a spec. It was meant more for inventory because it had opportunity to see play. The deck just had to come around. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that I personally I struggle with sometimes is I don't necessarily keep up with my spec box to see what should become inventory. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have like a periodic every three month check. You know, what's this at? What's this at? What's this at? What's this at? Yep. And I probably should just pay more attention and be like, oh, all right, well, you know, all of a sudden, we got Goblin Recruiter in Standard. Let me see what I have sitting in this old Starfoil spec box that's just sitting here, mm -hmm. and the deck may exist now. 
yep. that didn't before that's not Goblin Ringleader, so to speak. But that's that's something I struggle with for sure, is that conversion of when it goes from spec to inventory. And I, I think that's uh, something to think about as well when you're deciding on a spec. If you're actually going out and you, you know, you're doing what we talked about uh, episodes ago, moving from backpacking to vending or maybe being a more active backpacker, taking the specs and rolling them into inventory over time, understanding that you know when I pick these up, these will be in my binder to sell or trade or whatever at events, but they need to mature as specs first. They need, they're one card away, like we like to talk about. Or it's good enough for the game on the whole, I need to wait for my locals to catch up. I need to wait yep. for my local meta. And so you just let that you know ruminate let it cook for a little bit and then a couple weeks later take it up you know when everybody catches up because not everybody can buy cards at their lgs and play the deck immediately they have to order that takes a week or two right yeah and uh, so i think that's an important piece of this as well and that is a little more i it's based off data points etc but there's a little more art to that than there is science because now you have to go through and say who's playing what and where um, I'm going to bring up the Aetherworks Marvel list in Historic later, but like that just popped up in Historic. Okay, so if I believe that Historic might be a paper format, what is underpriced right now in this deck that is a core to the functionality that I can move in now, let it sit in my spec box until I know whether or not where this is going to be a paper that, and then eventually move it into inventory or spec on it long term if it's going to be one of the threats the deck that isn't yeah. a kind of thing I, I think that's a good point to make and definitely something to to think about as well and that makes this a little more kind of artistic than uh, data driven as a whole so. yeah I mean, no it is such an such a copycat game that not only does it take a couple weeks for you know them or a little bit for them to get their cards after they order them uh, it's also, you know, especially right now, we're at a time where results aren't exactly easy to come by because we don't have these big events. We don't have Grand Prix. We don't get to see what the competitive meta looks like. So, you know, you may see a 5-0 list on the MTG Daily, and it's a total meme that just got there because no one knew what they were playing against. And you get a little bit of extra viability to some cards because of that. But it's important to kind of weed through that because you don't want to be stuck with, you know, sea stompy stuff when the jig is up yep. and people realize Rishton Brigan is a trash card in Legacy type of thing. Always was. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. And, but that speaks to the point earlier about understanding your outs when you're going to move and operate in that space. And so you know, it, it, all, it all comes down to that. It's speculating might not be a dying art but it's changing and you really still need to understand where you want to operate in this space and understand the important data points in what you're doing and more so now if you're working with the variants that we're seeing what your outs are and what the demand in those marketplaces generally looks like for those variants yeah so and i i think that's something that and maybe it's the same for you. I honestly, when I first started specking, I didn't spec for outs. I didn't care. I was like, oh, I'll get rid of it at some point. 
And I think that being mindful of that now is super important because you got to get rid of it sometime. Yeah. It's, as, as we like to harp on, a card is worth $0 until you sell it. Exactly. It is worth nothing. Nope. Uh, yeah. Um, I was all focused locally so that my outs were always trades, so I never uh, really went deep. Only once um, the after New World Order, whatever it's called, when Return to Rav came out, and they basically uh, doubled or quadded the print run from Innistrad mm -hmm. Block to RTR, that's where I started looking at speculating and outing to buy as a little more of an opportunity than just in-person trade. Previously, it was yeah. just to climb the ladder into uh, duels because I knew those could be moved for some of the highest uh, ROI yeah. when I was trading up. But once uh, RTR happened, it became a lot more palatable to look to go to buy lists for the trade bump to then move in, you know, essentially yeah. just laundering cash. Yeah, basically. So that's where I was. Um, you good for picks? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Um, did you go first last week? Did I go first? All right, I'll go first. That face says Yeah. That. Yeah. No, I, I did go first because I did stomping around for a dumb reason. Okay, cool. Um, as if that'll ever change anything. So yeah. this week, uh, I'm going with the Locust God. Uh, you know, one of our three gods from Hour of Devastation. And when you look, you know, it peaked basically well after it was after Standard, right before Modern Horizons, because we got a bunch more uh, draw stuff. We got Niv-Mizzet in uh, the RAV set, and that kind of just kind of like tied the whole room together. And from there, it's just been a, a story of reprints in commander decks and then this nice plateau that we uh kind of hit at the tail end of 2020 and a slow slide into mediocrity that we have to today so right now this sits about four dollars market and it's been about this price uh, hovering between 320 and 360 market for the last like two months so I, this, this hit my list in june and I finally decided to pull it off because um, I think we're coming up on a time now where that the bialis number has held steady for long enough, bialis quantity has uh, increased enough, and more people are seeing a higher churn uh, in quantity on TCG Player that more copies have begun to hit the market that people are finally pulling copies out. So right now we're kind of buying into the plateau, which is where I want to be. So this card overall, it's a finisher for Spellslinger decks that are you know, reliant on, on card draw. And I expect this to make the cut in every list that isn't slanted towards a competitive game. So, you know, this costs six, Nivmizic costs six, Talran costs four. All these compatible cards cost a lot. This is not a competitive deck, like the, the Spellslinger version of the deck. Uh, it, this is great within the 99, which is exactly where I expect it. Dex Helm by Niv Mizzet Perum. Actually, let me bring this up so you can see it. Skip past that for right now. So, uh, Dex Helmed by Niv Mizzet Perun, Riel the Everwise, Eurex the, uh, the Writhing Storm, etc. Uh, they can house the Locust God as a premier finisher within the deck because they promote the drawing of cards. Uh, with the addition of, like, the Hey, uh, We're Flippin', General Usury Fortune's Flame from Modern Horizons 2, which just came out. So this is going to be a little bit of a bump, and I'll bring it up. But basically, 
Yuri says, whenever this card attacks, you choose a number between 1 and 5. You flip that many coins for each flip you win. Draw a card for each flip you lose. It deals 2 damage to you. If you win 5 flips this way, you may cast spells from your hand this turn without paying their mana costs. So it's omniscience for a turn for everything you draw for the rest of Everything in your hand from now until the end of turn, whether you drew it prior to attacking or after. Yeah. So this, is, this card, I expect to bring a little bit of uh, a push to the Locust God. And overall, this card ages like a fine wine as, again, Wasi continues to make great cards for the aforementioned Spellslinger and Draw 7 style of decks. Um, I did mention Yurix also on here. Um, not Nin the Pain Artist, but there's a... I can never... Nekasar, the Grixis General, yeah. that punishes your opponents for drawing cards, right? It, it just goes hand-in-hand hand with, the, with the Draw 7 theme. And the other important part about this card, and it's something I often forget, is these tokens have haste. They have haste. So if you just fork a bunch of wheels, all those tokens that you generated can just clear out the board. It's actually a, a, a tighter closer than a lot of people expect. So uh, right now, Card Kingdom's retail is right around the market price, yet their vilest amount and quantity has rebounded over time. So this pretty much tells us that the market can bear the approximate $4 price tag, but I don't think this is going to last long. I expect without another commander reprint, we'll be able to get out to Bialis within about six months. Um, and this card just appeared in the Teamer Aetherworks Marvel list in Historic, the event that happened this past weekend, which it's not an immediate driver, but could be if we see continued support of Historic, continued abandonment of Pioneer, and the possibility of Historic in paper at whatever iteration of Magic Fest we get in the future. So these last couple of sentences are really important. So this Historic event was in a dead format because nobody really is going to be playing Historic at a competitive level again on Arena until Watsi and onto something new. Format's dead. Okay, we just returned to paper. Interesting. Watsi just announced the that they're abandoning Pioneer Masters on Arena, and like we told you at the head of this episode, we're going to see Channel bringing back Magic events. I expect Star City to do so too. Now, Star City was hanging their hat on Pioneer and Standard, and if Pioneer is essentially a dead format, not just because Watsi is abandoning the transition to Arena, but because there's been no change to the format in forever, and I really don't think it's in a good spot right now, people might move to Historic. So now we open up another, another avenue and another driver for this card. Overall, between what we're seeing here, Usury just being re uh, released, and people kind of looking back at this card, uh, all things considered, this has been... Uh, too flat for too long for the number of copies that have entered the marketplace and a rising market price that I do believe this goes up over time and we're buying, as I said at the beginning, in the plateau. This is our sweet spot. And I think that's, I think this card is great, especially as it seems like we are inevitably shifting more towards historic. Uh, I think cards from our forward that may not have properly shined in Pioneer will shine in a slower format. And I think that Historic is designed to be that little bit slower format. I think that Logos God also, as you touched on, is one of those cards that, like, being a Spellslinger card... Watsi loves Spellslinger stuff. They love it. They like being wizards that are just hurling spells like crazy. This card's great for that. And I think that it is one of those. The longer the game goes on, the better it gets, because they're going to print more and more and more cards that are just incidentally incredibly synergistic with it. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to be the natural evolution of the card. Yep. And that, you know, obviously could be reprinted at any point. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a God's Secret Lair again. But 
I think that this is a good mid to long term one for sure. It, yeah, and I think this is an easy out to binders in the short term. Yeah. If you're to pick oh, it up yeah. now. Because like I said, this just fits in a number of I don't want to use the term big dumb themes, but you know, draw seven and spell slinger for the majority of commander parts pods are just like big dumb spells. People aren't really playing, you know, Windfall, Wheel of Fortune, Wheel of Fate, uh whatever the new one is from the commander set where you guess numbers. They're not like yeah. Twister. You know, they're not playing these aggressively costed cards to just get the game over as quickly as possible. They want to just play maximum magic. This is the kind of deck where you put Thousand Year Storm as well and you just do big things, big dumb things. And sitting on a number of these, easy. I think it's just an easy out. Um, the only thing I didn't note, but I would recommend if this is a card you want to look into, is so Card King was buying 18 of the set version at a buck fifty. They're buying 93 of the Commander 2020 version for a dollar thirty. Like that tells you there is real demand for this card on their site. Although it might be the Commander version because that one's cheaper. So if you're going to look into this, just take a quick look at um, which one is more affordable for you. I prefer set versions over Commander. Usually the price discrepancy isn't that great. And uh, overall, it's going to be as easy to move in the long term. But 93 makes this uh, a more different look in regards to set version. I think, yeah, I, I think that's actually something that I do a bad job of touching on, is that even though it seems like kind of minor... Uh, especially when going to buy lists, that set difference makes a huge difference in the viability of what they want. Obviously, it doesn't matter in a booth, but if you're like me and you just operate at buy lists, I don't pay attention to that, and I probably should. So be mindful of that. Yep. It, that number is getting real close. You can There are probably about 10 copies. I just took a look on TCG Player from Commander 2020 that you can just about arbitrage to CK. So like, keep that in mind. You know? that, that gap might close faster than the set version. If you want to mix up your stock, this is a good way to, to a good time to do it, and always something to look at when we're when we're picking cards that have uh, set and supplemental versions. Take, yeah. Always take a look at those deltas because usually there's room to operate at a profit. Speaking of multiple variations, good lord, uh, my pick. Yes. Urza Saga. Yes. Cards getting banned. It's getting banned. This card's too good gonna get banned buy it when it gets banned this this card is does absurdly degenerate things and it is too good for it to be a penny stock when it gets banned so seems kind of an odd thing to call out well this is the prime example that i'm gonna go for when mox opal got banned in modern people were selling theirs for thirty dollars <throat> because they were sure the floor was there for that card at $30. $30 was retail. $30 is 60% right now. It's $45 card because of EDH demand, because of legacy demand, similar to Splinter Twin and Pod. These are cards that are held up value-wise by incredibly powerful formats where people are doing very powerful things, not because they're too good, but because they're just good enough. Yep. And this card's going to get banned in Modern first. It probably will get banned in Legacy. But 
it's too good not to see play in vintage as restricted or in EDH. Vintage obviously is not a huge financial driver, but no. EDH definitely is. No, um, and Urza's Saga is the kind of degenerate card that goes in any deck. It's colorless. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you're doing, you run this card. Yeah. Uh, I, I like talking about this card because, in general, people are like, yeah, whatever, it just does things. And I, I, I have two examples. Find the spell you can counter. Urza's Saga, Expedition Map, Cavern of Souls, Primeval Titan. Okay, here's the other one. Urza's Saga, Time Vault. <laughs> right, Time Vault costs one? Uh, two, key does. Key, key. Okay. Yeah, Vault's two. Okay, I, I was like, Vault is either one yeah. or two. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. Like When you do that, you're just like, I'm going to put my combo onto the board for... Uh, in an uncounterable way, not for free, but you know, at a cost. And especially in vintage, it plays along with the plan of playing a lot of artifacts. So the the second, what are they in sagas? Yeah, two second chapter, chapter. Yeah, yeah, plays into vintage. I, I think it's kind of a no brainer. This gets banned. Um, and then in modern, at least in, in vintage, yeah. obviously, like we said, is restricted because this just becomes a somewhere between a two and four of automatic automatically, and you just to enable stacks, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that this... It's like Smuggler's Copter, right? Yeah. Smuggler's Copter got banned and people thought it was worthless. Rampaging Ferocidon got banned and people thought it was worthless. Then, eventually, this is just what happens with cards that get banned. Something happens, and they're still really good. Yeah. So some format, some card will find a way to break this card and make it worth money again. I think when this gets banned, it drops down to 10 bucks is what people think the new retail is, and you can hoover up infinite copies of 5 to $6. And then it's just, contrary to what we were saying earlier in the episode, throw it in a box and forget about it, because banned cards don't get reprinted. Uh, no. Splinter Twin got reprinted. No, it was reprinted before it was banned. Oh, true, yeah, it was. That was, yeah. that was the card I was thinking of. Yeah. It, it honestly was. I was like, eh... But no, Free the political prisoner. Yeah. Why though, Watsy? No, I. I like. It's not good of... enough for modern right now. It's not. Splinter Twin should not be banned. It's bad and modern. Whatever. You were right. It is actively bad. Um. Bubbling up this the thought process is always something I, I like to do because more often than not people forget how lucrative it can be to buy into the ban as opposed to the unban because the unban is always flashy. The unban always, or the unban tends to make you money in the short term. Not a lot of people think about what happens to the card that was banned in the long term, and this serves as a really good reminder for people. Yes, you have to sit on your hands with this. You can't just take action on it immediately because you'll either break even or lose in the long run. If you're buying it, you know. 20 to 30, 25 to 30 dollars, whatever the price of this card is, a TCG player. But if you do start buying in that window, you know, zero to 24 hours after the banning, that's where you lock in your profit margins. Here's a prime example uh, that's even better, I think, than Mox Opal. Death Right Shaman was actually banned in every format except EDH and Vintage. It, it was, you could pick them up for a quarter all day long. All day long. It's a $6 buy list right now on Card Kingdom. 
$6.40 cash for Eternal Masters, $5 cash for Guilds of Ravnica. That's ridiculous. That was a quarter. And I think the only format that plays it right now is Pioneer and EDH. That's it. Yeah. Double check on this. Like, it, that is a prime example of this is something that, okay, here's what we're basically looking at doing with Urza's Saga, because I think it is going to be in a similar boat, where it's basically banned in everything except Vintage and EDH. Yep. Card's great. Yeah, you can call Vintage as a, a pillar holding up Deathrite Shaman, but I really don't think you can point to that as a driver. No. But yeah, I, I think it's a great, solid pickup, and I think it's worth paying attention to. Yep, I agree. And like I said, I think even if people don't move in immediately on Urza's Saga, I think it's this serves as a really good reminder that there's opportunity everywhere. You just need to remember under what rock to look. And yep. um, this represents a high-profile instance where people are going to be able to make a decent mo uh, amount of money off of a, a banning. You just have to you know, wait and see. Who knows? Maybe no, next week? When is our next... Wait, did they not announce BNR announcements anymore? No, they haven't done an announcement to announce the next BNR yet. Okay. I think we're waiting. Yeah, okay. I would but agree with you. This that. card's going to get banned. When it gets banned, hop on it right away within 24 to 48 yeah. hours. Exactly. Everyone's going to be salty and like, I don't want this card. Get it out of here. All right, great. Snipe them. Yeah, same. All of them. Yep, agreed. Um, and I think uh, if Rakavan goes as well, well, we just tack another one on here. I think yeah. if Rakavan goes, then it's the same thing. You just, you just pick it up. I think. That card is underexplored in older formats right now, and I think it absolutely holds. It, it holds is, water. It, yeah, and it is an insanely good combo general in EDH. Yep. So, yep. also. So those are, those are the two that I expect action on, and thus the two that I think you, you're going to be able to move in uh, move in on and pick things up. In regards to what version, you know, per the conversation we had this cast, that that's kind of on you. Um, for both of these, I would just go standard set version. Uh, that's that's what I play. That is my audience is the lowest common denominator. There's only a sketch version of Urza Saga, as we found out uh, earlier this morning, and Raghavan comes in, like, every iteration, so that one, and they're all foil, so again, that one's on you, although I do think the alt art, full art, alt full art, whatever, yeah. it, it, it's the more, the more appealing one to me uh, if I was just going to buy something pretty. I'm not you. You're not selling your cards to me right now. Maybe later. Whatever. Maybe. Maybe in Dallas. Yeah, maybe in Dallas. But, uh, I think that's going to be it for this week. Has we got anything else? Nope, I'm good. All right, cool. Then uh, you've been listening to MTG Cabalcast, and you can find the cast on YouTube. You can reach us on Twitter at MTG Cabalcast. We are also on Facebook at MTG Cabalcast. If you would like the audio version of the podcast, that is on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Audible, Stitcher, and Spotify. I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. See you next week.